We're still early enough in this 2018 year that I am seeing people for the first time and saying Happy New Year. Perhaps that's the same with you. And there's still a lot of conversation about New Year's resolutions and what might happen with this 2018 year. It seems like we're still at the start, you know, so there's adjustments that can be made and new things may be taken on or let go of. I was talking to someone just yesterday who has engaged in the challenge by a local salesperson in town who's also a fitness person who challenged people to get outside and walk or run or do something for a mile every day. A mile, that's all. That's not much. A mile, if you start out here in front of the church and you go to the fountain and back, that's a mile. Isn't that nice? It doesn't seem like a very difficult thing to do, one mile. She said, though, that Friday was really hard because maybe you remember on Friday the rain was coming down and all the snow was melting and evaporating, so you had water coming from both directions pretty much all day long. She said there was a little break in in that on Friday, and she begged her husband to go out real quick for one mile. Indeed, some New Year's resolutions can seem relatively easy to do, and I feel like in hearing our gospel lesson today, we're hearing the New Year's resolution of the followers of Jesus. Jesus says to Philip and Nathaniel, follow me, and they say, sure, that's easy enough, right? <laughs> it sounds easy. We read about it in also the, some of the other Gospels when the sons of Zebedee, James and John, leave their nets or Peter leaves his net and they follow Jesus. It seems like it's just easy, just like going out for a mile every single day. But we know it does get hard when the rain comes down and the water comes up. There are times that following Jesus is not easy. I was reminded of that just this week when I had a visceral reaction to the words that I heard that our president said about people from other nations. I was furious at the words that he used. And in my anger and in my feeling of powerlessness, I started using words I don't use. I said them out loud to some of the members of my family, and I said, I never say that. Oh, my gosh. I'm starting to pick up the very weapons that I'm admonishing others for using, calling people names, disparaging not good names. I was doing the same thing, and that made me even angrier at myself, at the senselessness. When I find myself in these particular situations, I have to go get fortified. You know, it's, those are the clues, and sometimes they're very blatant and out loud, and I hear them coming, my own words coming back to me, and it's a clue that it's time to go back and get my head and heart on. I have sources that I go back to in these moments. I have been reading some words of Dorothy Day, and she's the person that I happened to pick up when I realized I needed a, a check on myself. Maybe you know Dorothy Day. She was a Catholic laywoman at the start of the 20th century in the early 1900s. She's not someone you would think of as really um, amazing in her Catholicness or her Christianness, at least not for part of her life. She had had an abortion. 
she married and had a child and then divorced, and that was in the 1930s. And it was during that time that she and a partner established a house on the Lower East Side of Manhattan known as the House of Hospitality. It was there for the poor and for the addicted. They dedicated their lives to serving that population, so much so that it became known as the Catholic Workers' Movement. And there are houses of hospitality all over our country with that same mission to love the least of these. And so as I was flipping through a book, not that casually, I shouldn't say flipping, but it's, it, they're little vignettes, little things, little pieces of her writings, and as I was just reading them, I came to one that stopped me in my tracks. She said, Our love of God is measured by the one that we love the least. Our love of God is measured by the one that we love the least. Following Jesus is not easy, and we cannot do it of our own strength. We are called time and time again to return to God for that strength to live that which God calls us into. This is not something that we're supposed to get right by doing it independently. Following Jesus calls us again and again back into relationship. Relationship with the Godhead and relationship with one another. And what we discover along the way is how inextricably those two things are linked. That they can't be separated from one another. Dorothy Day knew that. I'm glad to see the mission that the vestry has articulated for the community of St. Stephen's. Hopefully you received that email earlier this week. After a year's worth of work of listening and contemplating and, con and talking with one another, the vestry came to a place of being able to put some words together, a vision for the church, a mission statement, and articulating core values. And the mission that we have Collect, could have adopted together as the vestry for the people of St. Stephen's is this. Embracing and living God's commandment to love our neighbors through worship, stewardship, and service to others. Embracing and living God's commandment to love our neighbors through worship, stewardship, and service to others. Now this is quite a task. We are not going to master this in the next three to five years. I can assure you. <laughs> but what it does is call us into relationship with God, which calls us into relationship with one another, which calls us into relationship with God. And by that challenge, we are continually fortified and, and challenged to live as followers of Jesus. We will find our strength for those days when the rain comes down and the water comes up off the earth simultaneously. It can be a surprise sometimes as to where we can find that sense of fortification, where it is that we can find that place of, stre of strength, and often it's in recognizing our own humility that we discover God's abundant goodness. Some of you may or may not know that we have a sacrament of reconciliation as Episcopalians, that is, private confession. 
You'll find it in the Book of Common Prayer between sickness and death. But you don't have to wait till that phase of life to engage this sacrament. It was something my spiritual director invited me to do um, 20 years ago, I guess. I had never made a private confession, and she gave me a little book by Martin Smith. And so I dutifully read it because she often gave me good counsel, even though I didn't often understand what the counsel was, and made my private confession with her hearing it. And I was astounded by the overwhelming sense of God's love for me, the recklessness with which God loves me, showers and pours it over me, surrounds me on all sides to where it permeates my pores and comes deep within. It gets mixed up within me, God's love. And I didn't know that until I engaged in this sacrament. I couldn't believe that God loved me that magnitude when all I had to offer in return was the amount of love that I have for the one that I love the least. I've been so changed by that moment that it's become a piece of good news that I've shared with other people in these almost 20 years, encouraging people to make a private confession. It sounds like an odd thing to encourage people in, doesn't it? Especially with a lot of enthusiasm and excitement with a smile on my face. But it changed me so much that I found myself in the creed, as you know we say at the end, one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Perhaps you notice that many people will cross themselves in the resurrection and life everlasting. But I found myself crossing myself for the forgiveness of sins. What has God done for me? I remember an occasion where I shared this book with someone, because like I've mentioned before, it's one of my favorites. And they engaged it. It was a man, and he came back to me, and he said, within a few days after opening the book, this is quite a powerful thing. This isn't going to be a quick read. A few weeks later, he reported further of what this book was doing in his life, how he'd always known that God was there for him, but he thought of God as being out there, not with and in and through him. And it broke open a whole new way of understanding God's love and relationship. Yes, that's the good news. That God came in our midst. That God became incarnate. Not to always walk five paces ahead of us, but to draw us alongside of God's very self and to give us strength and direction for the day that we face, the challenges, whatever they may be. And we come to learn that we are not our own, as Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, that all we are and all that we have is God's, that we belong to God, that we don't exist outside of God. And so the injuries done to us are injuries done to God, and the injuries we do to others are injuries done to God. They're one and the same, and so it brings us again to a place of confession and receiving the grace and abundant love that God has to offer us. Brother Curtis Almquist is a monk with the Society of St. John the Evangelist. Another piece of information you may or may not know is that Episcopalians have monks and nuns. The oldest order in the United States of 
the oldest monastic order is the Society of St. John the Evangelist in Cambridge, Mass. Their house is located right behind Harvard's School of Government, the Kennedy School of Government, right there on the Charles River. It's a beautiful place of hospitality, and they, that's one of the things that they practice most, is inviting people to come and to be in their midst and to engage in their rhythm of prayer. They keep silence all day long, and I can tell you there is so much space and time in silence. Unbelievable. Just a couple of days can do more than you would ever imagine as far as restoring a person. More than a week on the beach. The gift of that silence. They have a little blog that they do every day. They send out a little, just two or three lines. It's called, Brother, Give Us a Word. And one of my favorite brothers, um, well, I'm always really touched by what he writes, Brother Curtis Almquist. And I want to share with you something that he wrote earlier this week. If you get stuck in your head and cannot figure it out, take Jesus at his word. Surrender to his revelation, which will come to us only in our powerlessness, powerless as an infant. If you get stuck in your head and cannot figure it out, take Jesus at his word. Surrender to Jesus' revelation that will only come to us in our powerlessness. That image of an infant, the powerlessness of an infant, that's part of the gift of the incarnation. God reminds us of God's provision to us in our powerlessness. And oh, how I wish I'd remembered that before I used words that I'm not proud of earlier this week. Because that's how I felt powerless. Our invitation for this 2018 year is to live into our powerlessness so that God's glory can be made known in our lives, through our lives. In God's economy, we get all that we need and more as we give ourselves into full service. It doesn't make sense. But we can take Jesus at his word that all that we need is provided for. I feel stuck in my head. And so these words became a point of good news, an invitation to trust Jesus with all of it, with my very life, so that I can be a part of what God is doing in this world to bring whole, whole, wholeness and healing and restoration. And that's God's invitation to you too. It will be tailor-made for you in your unique situation, but it's universal in that it's God's goodness made known in the world. We are invited to accept the invitation to follow Jesus, to take Jesus at his word that he will not abandon us on that journey, but accompany us through every part of it. That's how God's light will be made known, and we can trust that. Amen.